Hey, good to see you guys this morning. Quite obviously, we're doing things pretty differently. First of all, they changed the clocks on us, which is just cruel. Like, that's a mean joke to play, you guys, to cause us to lose an hour. Yes, I know we gained an hour earlier in the year, but still, it just seems wrong in some way. Uh, all of our friends back in Florida, where Amber and I are from, are celebrating today because Florida just voted that they're not putting up with daylight savings time anymore. So they just decided, we're not doing it. We're not changing the clocks after today. And so, uh, you know, you may be a little tired this morning because you got an hour less uh, worth of sleep than you typically do, but that's okay. It's still going to be a great morning. We're also changing things up in terms of how we do things this morning. Normally, as you heard, we have our worship band first thing, and they lead us in three or four songs, and they kind of direct us into the presence of God, and then we'll dive into the scripture a little bit and talk about how uh, God's word and his truth, his love for us has the power to transform our lives. But today, we're flip-flopping it. And so I'm up here really early in the service, and then we are going to end with worship in just a few minutes. Now, the reason that we're changing things up today, actually, we're changing things up for the rest of this month. The reason we're doing that is we hope that you will change things up in the future. From this day forward, you would approach our Sunday morning worship services a little bit differently than you have up to this point. Because one of my deepest prayers as a pastor is that our church would grow in our capacity to worship God. That this would be a theater that is full of love and passion and devotion to Jesus. And my hope is, quite frankly, that the devotion, the love, the passion, the worship that we feel towards God would not just be on the inside, but that it would actually be manifested on the outside as well. That's one of my deep prayers as a pastor. I pray it all the time. Amber and I talk about how much we want you guys to be able to just give yourself over to God in abandon, in surrender, in passion, and in worship. Now, I think that God wants the same thing for you as well. I really do. And the reason that I say that I think God just wants you to worship him with abandon and passion and excitement is because in the Gospel of John, chapter number four, Jesus is speaking to a woman about what worship is. He's talking to her about what worship means and why we do it and the ways we should do it and the ways that we shouldn't do it. And in this exchange, this conversation that's recorded for us in John chapter number four, verse 23, this is what Jesus says. He says, the time is coming. Indeed, the time is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then he says this, the Father is actively looking for those who will worship him this way. You see, according to Jesus in this conversation, God desires true worshipers. He desires people who will give their all to him when it comes to worship. Now, we're talking about musical worship today, but it goes far beyond that. It goes beyond what we do for an hour on Sunday into how we live our lives every single week. Now, I want you to notice what the scripture says that God is not looking for. It says uh, that God is looking for true worshipers. It doesn't say God is looking for people who have the Bible memorized. He's not looking for that. That's not what he's after. It doesn't say God is looking for the best public speakers. He's not looking for that. He doesn't actually need that. 
He doesn't say he's looking for the most stylish people to stand on stage, which is probably a good thing because I wouldn't be here, right? It doesn't say that he's looking for people who have really good rhythm. Some of you guys are like, oh, thank God. Let me help you. You clap on two and four, okay? Anytime you hit the snare drum hit in the worship band, that's when you're supposed to be clapping, if you've always struggled with that. But even if you can't figure that out, even if you're like, when the worship band is playing, it doesn't matter because God is not looking for people that have great rhythm. He's not looking for influencers who have huge Instagram followings. God, Jesus, is not looking for any of those things. Apparently, God is most concerned with finding people who are true worshipers. If there's anything that God wants to be true of Connect Church, at least as it relates on Sunday mornings, but I think the rest of the week as well, if there's anything God wants out of this theater, it would be people who would give themselves over to true worship. Now that word true, as Jesus uses it here in this conversation, the word true, it actually means sincere, consistent, or full. That's what Jesus means. In the original language, the word that he uses, it means God desires people who would give sincere worship. God desires people who would give consistent worship. God desires people who will give true and full worship to him. Now, if there is a full worship, that means there must also be empty worship that we could offer him if we're not careful. If there is sincere and consistent worship, then there could also be inconsistent or insincere worship that we need to be careful that we don't put on on Sunday mornings or throughout the rest of the week. So what's the difference between those two? What's the difference between full, sincere, consistent, true worship that God desires from you and me and the empty, insincere, inconsistent worship that uh, Jesus warns us not to bring to God. How is this empty worship different from the true worship? And how do we know if we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth, the way the Bible says? Uh, Also, why do we do things the way that we do here at Connect? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why do we have all the lights and the, the, the movie clips and computers and all those different things. Why do we have a full band instead of, you know, a traditional choir or instead of doing things the way they used to do it at your old church? Why does our church look the way it does? And is there any area of our worship as a gathering of people that Jesus might look at and say, ooh, that's a little empty. It's a little insincere. How do we know And how can we make sure we give God true worship? Well, that's what we're going to be addressing. We're going to answer all of those questions and more over the next few weeks. So for three weeks, we're going to be talking about worship, what it means, why we do things the way that we do. I'm hoping if you have a better understanding of what's going on on Sundays, then you'll feel more engaged and more willing to offer God this true worship. Now, today, we're going to talk about worship through passion. That passionate love of God is a way that we express true worship to our Heavenly Father. Next week, we're going to talk about worship through creation. And then the final week, Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about worship through submission, how we submit ourselves to God as an act of worship. So this week, let's talk a little bit about worship as passion. What is the difference between this full and empty worship that Jesus mentions here in John chapter number four? I think it comes down to three contrasts 
between the way that you and I tend to look at worship and the way that God looks at worship. See, God sees worship very differently than we tend to look at it. We make some assumptions about what worship is and what it isn't, and if we could see it from God's perspective, or at least the way that God wants us to see it, then I think it could unlock Sunday mornings for us. I think it could really make this the best hour of your life. Now, if you're taking notes, this is where I want you to pull out your phone or you know, snap some pictures and things, because I want you to take these three thoughts, these three contrasts, and I want you to continue to think about them in the days to come. Three thoughts that show how you think about worship differently from the way that God tends to think about worship. So the first one is this. This true worship that Jesus talks about is a passion and not a chore. True worship, the worship that God desires from me and from you, it should be a passion that we express and not a chore that we have to complete. I got the opportunity last, like, November, I think it was, to go to my very first Flames game. I was super pumped. Somebody gave me free tickets, so it was the best. You know, they were great seats, and I didn't have to pay for them. I was so ecstatic. I had two tickets, and I invited Joshua McDonald, the, the guy who was emceeing just a few minutes ago, I invited him to come with me to the game. Now, Amber was busy. I wasn't cutting out my wife. You know, it's not like I was like, you can't come. This is a guy's night. No, I wanted her to come. She couldn't, so I invited Joshua to come with us. Now, here's the interesting thing. When the person who uh, offered us the tickets gave them to us, they said, hey, do you have any jerseys that you're going to wear to the game? And we said, oh, no, we don't, you know, we don't have any jerseys. Like, we like the Flames and all, but we're not Uber fans or anything. So we'll just wear a red T-shirt or something. And the person who gave us the tickets was like, no way. No, 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 no. We're going to loan you jerseys so that when you show up, you feel like you belong to the Flames family. That's actually what they said. And so they went into their closet and they loaned us jerseys that you see us wearing there in the picture so that we felt like we were a part of the home team. So we felt like we were a part of this gathering, this family of people. And so that night, we joined a united crowd people who were united around a common purpose. Despite the fact that we didn't really know each other, we stood with everybody in the stadium. We shouted at the top of our lungs. We clapped when things went well. We cheered when the team was doing good. We spent our money while we were there. We sang. We high-fived strangers. We listened to their stories from seasons past. You know, we're sitting next to people and they're like, I remember back in the 90s when this team was, and we're like, okay, you know, tell us the story, grandpa. And so he would tell us the whole story. Um, we also listen to people talk about their hopes for the future in regards to the team, you know? I mean, it, it really ran the gamut. We had an awesome night because we were a part of something that was bigger than ourselves. We joined up with other people so that we could unite our passion and direct it towards something. Now, maybe hockey isn't your thing, okay? Maybe you're like, yeah, I just don't get pumped about the flames. I understand that, but you have experienced this yourself. If you've ever gone to a concert before and you see everybody down in the pit and they're just throwing up their rock fist and singing in unison, you know what it's like for people to be united 
excited and passionate about something. If you've ever gotten all your girls together so you could watch an episode of The Bachelor, you know, you called them over so you guys could eat and have some wine, and you guys fellowshiped over your shared emotional investment in something. Imagine if you won the lottery, right? If you were to get a winning scratcher or they called all of your numbers, you'd be jumping around and dancing like a crazy person. In fact, everybody you knew would be celebrating along with you because we tend to get passionate about the things that move us. We really do. There are things that get us hyped and excited. And that's not a bad thing, but here's what I've noticed. I've personally noticed that we tend to give good worship to bad gods, and we tend to give bad worship to our good God. Look, there's nothing wrong with getting really excited over a hockey game. Like, I'm not picking on anybody. If you're a big sports nut, if you've got your Flames jersey on this morning, I want you to know there's nothing wrong with that at all. There is nothing wrong with going to a concert and just singing out at the top of your lungs, unless it's a country music concert, in which case you need to reevaluate your life. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. Please don't leave. I'm just kidding. There is no, some of you guys actually tried to get up and walk out. It's a joke, people. There's nothing wrong with creating an Instagram account for your dog, okay? You can do that if you want to. You can get excited about every new follower and every cute little post and picture you make. There is nothing wrong with those things. But can I just tell you that although those are fun diversions, although they're interesting and enjoyable hobbies, they make for really terrible gods. The reason that I say that is because when you get right down to it, these things that we give our passion and our allegiance to, they're not really worthy of it in the long run. Think about it like this. A sports team, while awesome, I'm a huge Cowboys fan, I love to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys, one fan, the rest of you hate me even more, Um, I'm just making enemies left and right this morning, but listen, The thing is, when I go to a Cowboys game, there is not a single person on the field that knows my name. Nobody. And the truth is, my being there, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. They're still going to make millions and millions of dollars. They're still going to blow the key games that they're supposed to win. My presence there makes no difference whatsoever. Not only do, do these gods that we worship Not only do they not care, honestly, about us as individuals, but they don't last either. I mean, how many friends or followers, I don't even know what the word is anymore, how many likes did you have on MySpace back in the day? Do you remember? Remember how excited you were about the note? You're like, I got my top 10, and then I've got another 700 people that are my friends, and today nobody cares. Do you understand that 10 years from now, nobody is going to care if you have 3,000 followers on Twitter? It doesn't matter. They don't last. These things that we give our passion and our allegiance, we could use the word worship to, they're not around long term. And so I think they make for really bad gods in our lives. They make for really bad objects for worship. Now, on the other hand, we have a true God, and he's a good God, the Bible tells us. 
This good God, while all the other small g gods in your life, the things that you love and then somehow they turn into idols, things that you worship, these small g gods, will they don't know your name, they won't be there long term, and yet when we look at this true good God, the scripture says he promises us that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. So in 20 years, when you've found another hockey team to cheer for, God's still going to be there. When you feel abandoned by every friend and relationship that you thought mattered in your life, you, knew, you just knew these people were going to be around forever. When they fall away, God is still there. Your favorite diversions, the things that you give all of your passion and allegiance and worship to, they don't know you at all. You're just a number, I mean, just a faceless name or nameless face in the crowd. There we go. You're a nameless face in the crowd. You're a dollar sign. You're a butt that fills a seat. And you're not much more than that to them. And yet, when you look at the scripture, God says he has the very hairs on your head numbered. For some of you, that's easier than others. But still, I mean, it's a pretty impressive feat on God's part. He knows you so intimately, so much more intimately than all the other things in your life that you give your resources and passion and excitement and allegiance to. I mean, this good God, he proved his devotion to you when Jesus came to earth. When Jesus showed up, and we're going to be celebrating this over the next few weeks with Easter, Good Friday, when Jesus showed up on earth and he took the worst that humanity had to offer. He bore the weight of every terrible decision that people in the past, people in the present, people in the future will ever make, including me and you. When he bore that, he took that on himself. You know what he said? He didn't say, man, these people suck, God. Are you sure you want to save them? When he took upon himself the worst that we had to offer, this good God said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. This good God who promises to never leave us alone, who promises that he knows you so well he could tell you the exact numbers of hairs on your head right now. This good God who sent his son to die for all of your mistakes and the things that you regret. The book of Titus tells us that he doesn't save us because of good deeds that we've done. Instead, he has saved us according to his mercy. That is, you don't have to prove that you uh, deserve God's love. I tell you all the time that God's love for you is based in his character and not your behavior. He is a good God who is worthy of the worship that we tend to withhold from him. Although he's so good, the truth is we usually give him bad worship. We take these bad gods who are fun diversions, but not much more than that. And we give them our best, our passion, our excitement. And then when it comes to the God who deserves worship in our lives, it's hard for us to muster any excitement at all, you know? All right, I'm going to step on your toes, so curl them. We walk, we walk into the theater 10 minutes late on Sundays. Now, if you're walking in right now, I'm not calling you out. We're flipping things around, okay? Everybody has a bad morning. Dang, that was bad timing. They serve on the dream team. They were actually out doing something. Um, but seriously, though, we do. And then we find our seat and we stuff our hands in our pockets and we just kind of endure worship instead of engaging in it. We really do. We wonder, like, are they singing another song seriously? Isn't this the fourth one already? Don't we? 
Hey, look, maybe I could put it like this. Oh, isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that the flames will defeat the Oilers and we will fly flags on our car? Jesus defeats death and we yawn. Oh, man, that hurts. I mean, there are silly things that I get so excited about in my life. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling me out. There are things that just in the long term, they don't matter. And yet I give all of my passion, my devotion, my allegiance to them, and they're bad gods. They don't measure up to what the true and good God is offering me. And yet when it comes time for me to worship him, often I can't even get excited about it. If you believe that God has adopted you into his family through Jesus because of his love and his grace for you, that is worth getting hyped up over. It is worth throwing your fist in the air. It is worth singing at the top of your lungs. It is worth clapping. It is worth telling other people about. It is worth putting that passion on display. This God, deserves our good worship. That's what we've got to bring him on Sundays, not the leftovers, not the, eh, the worship isn't my thing, so I'm just going to kind of ignore it. But I mean real passion every single Sunday. True passion springs up, or true worship rather, it springs up from passion for God. You know, this word worship that Jesus uses here in, in John chapter number four, verse 23, it's a really interesting word in the original language. In the original language, this word worship in the New Testament, it literally means to kiss the hand of someone. It's a compound Greek word, and it means to kiss the hand. And I love that imagery here because a kiss is an intimate thing. It's a passionate thing. It's a familiar thing. You have to have some sort of relationship with somebody before you offer them a kiss. And yet, it says you kiss the hand, which is an act of honor or reverence. In ancient times, people would kiss the hand of a king. They would kiss the hand of a priest. They would offer them both devotion and reverence at the same time. And this is what Jesus asks from you on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and Saturday nights, that you would offer him true worship that looks like passion and devotion, respect and awe over who he is. Because worship is passion, not a chore. It is a celebration that we get to join in on every single day. Listen, if you've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, let your face know, okay? Some of you guys, it's like it, the message, you know, it never got above your neck. Your face should know. This is the best news on the planet, you guys. This is good stuff. Jesus gave himself for you regardless of what you've done in your life. If you're a good person, he died for your mistakes. If you're a bad person, he died for your mistakes. This religion is different from all others because it doesn't say you have to do in order to be accepted by God. It says you are accepted by God. And then he'll transform you so that you get to live a different sort of life that speaks to people about the God who saved and changed you. This is what worship is based in. And this is what we have got to give him week in and week out. It has nothing to do with the singers on stage. It has nothing to do with the synth lines that are being played. It has everything to do with our good and gracious Savior. 
That is the point from which we worship. And that's what should cause passion to well up inside of you. So worship, true worship that Jesus says God desires, it is first and foremost a passion and not a chore. Secondly, let me tell you that true worship is a skill and not a gift. True worship is a skill, it's not a gift. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I first started going to church as a 17-year-old man-child, I didn't particularly enjoy the worship component of the services very much. I, I don't sing very, very well, honestly. And when I was a teenager, I'd been going to the youth group for a couple of months, and the worship leader recruited me to join the youth choir. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm a better singer than I thought I was. He probably heard me across the auditorium on Sunday mornings, belting out these gorgeous harmonies. And so he invited me to join the youth choir. And so I joined the youth choir. And the night of our biggest performance in front of every other teenager in the youth choir, he said, now, Daniel, listen. Sometimes boys at your age, their voices are changing and they can't quite hit the, I promise you this happened. They can't quite hit the notes that they want to hit. And so I'm just going to ask you to, to, to kind of mouth the words tonight. Just pull back a little bit because you're sticking. I promise you guys this happened. And I'm like, dude, you recruited me for this. I didn't want to join your stupid youth choir and you pulled me in so that I could participate in this group worship. I, I couldn't clap on beat. I just, I, I was like so many of you, I'm like... I, I win. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused here. And then the idea that I'm supposed to clap and sing at the same time, no way. Like once I finally got the clapping down, then I tried to add in the words at the same time and I was back to being completely uncoordinated. I didn't really understand or enjoy worship early on. Some of you find yourself in that same position this morning. I want you to know that's okay. It really does get easier with time. Because worship is a skill that you develop. It's not a gift that you either have or you don't have, you know? It really is something that you can get better at. I was confused by worship, honestly, the first few times I went to church. Because they're singing songs that I don't know, and then they're asking me to sing along. And I'm like, guys, this is not my problem here. Sing some Zeppelin or something, and then I'll know I'll be able to sing. I just didn't get it. I really didn't get it at the time, truly. And so I couldn't decide if it was karaoke, if it was a concert. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't, I just, as a 17-year-old boy, I didn't care for worship too much. And so here's the thing. Maybe some of you do what I did. You tend to justify it, you know? You tend to come up with rationale to explain why I just don't enjoy worship. And so I would have a miserable experience during the music portion of a Sunday service, and I would walk out and I would say, you know, I'm just not that into music. It's just not my thing, you know. I enjoy the message. I'm more of a verbal guy instead of a lyrical guy. And so, you know, I just, I don't enjoy worship. But then, or I don't enjoy music. But then I would get in my car I would put the Smashing Pumpkins on repeat and I'd be like air drumming going down the road and stuff. So that was a lie. I was totally into music. It was just music I happened to be unfamiliar with at the time, right? I, I would try to get spiritual when I justified things. And I would say, well, you know, I just don't have the gift of worship. Clearly, the people on stage, they have a gift for this. But I don't have a gift for worship. But, you know, that didn't let me off the hook, I mean, that was just an excuse. When you read the Bible, you know what you find out? There is no gift of worship. There is no gift of worship mentioned in the Bible. In fact, when you read the scripture, God calls every single person from the most musical to the least musical of all to give him worship. 
He calls us to sing. He calls us to clap. He calls us to dance. He calls us to shout. He calls us to get excited. Read the book of Psalms. Or, yeah, Psalms. That's what the whole thing is about, is calling us to worship. And there are no caveats made for those of us who don't take to worship as naturally as others. I was making excuses instead of engaging with true worship that God wanted me to. Here's, if I was honest, here's the truth. I just felt awkward. Honestly, I felt awkward in the first few years even that I was a part of a Christian worship service. I was so concerned with like, what are people gonna think if they see me singing and getting excited? What if I start dancing and bouncing a little bit? I mean, if I were to lift my hand, I just don't even know what people might think. The truth is, despite all of my justifications, when I got right down to it, the reason that I didn't engage in worship was I felt self-conscious. I was making worship about me instead of about God. And because of that, I missed out on years of opportunities to express my passion and devotion to God simply because I felt awkward. What are people going to think? What's going to happen if I get too into this? I mean, I worried because I was a new believer. And I believed, but I had doubts, you know, I just didn't have all the answers, still don't have all the answers, by the way, but like, I I was just like, I don't know, am I sincere? Is this serious? Or am I faking this just because I see everybody else around me doing it? And it frustrated me because, you know, the, the people on stage, they all seemed so certain. They didn't have any hesitation, man. They would jump, they would lift their hands, they would sing at the top of their lungs. And some Sundays I didn't feel like that, so I thought there was something wrong with me. And maybe I shouldn't offer that worship to God because it wasn't full or sincere or as consistent as you know somebody else's might have been. Again, the problem was I was making worship about me. And I was forgetting the fact that true worship is a skill that you develop over time. It's not a gift that you either magically have or don't have. It is something that you develop over time. Now, like any skill, your first attempts at worship are usually pretty awkward. They really are. Your first attempts at expressive worship, like any skill that you're developing, are pretty awkward. We have a knitting small group that meets here at Connect. I think they met on Friday. And it's one of those things that like after a while you can make some really sweet toques and blankets and scarves and underwear or whatever else it is that you knit. I have no idea. But um, <coughs> my guess is the first time you pick up needles and you start knitting, it looks eh, you know, like the weave is not really tight and it's not symmetrical and the lines aren't straight and the patterns are off and all those different things because the first time you engage a skill, you're usually pretty bad at it. And if worship is a skill, that means the first few times you do it, it's gonna feel weird and that's okay because it's something that you can increase your capacity at over time. I wanna encourage you guys to push through the awkwardness. To, to just give yourself in worship to God. And if it feels awkward, let it be awkward knowing that next Sunday it's gonna be less awkward. And the Sunday after that, it'll be less awkward than that. Seriously, the first time you raise your hands, you're gonna be like, oh, is everybody looking at me right now? I can't see behind me. Is everybody looking at me right now? You're gonna think to yourself in that moment, do my armpits smell? Did I put on deodorant this morning? I'm not 100% sure, seriously. You'll wonder about that, you know? You'll think to yourself like, oh, if I start lifting my hands at the beginning of the chorus, is it rude if I put my hands down before the end of the chorus? Like, do I have to find the natural divisions in the song? 
I say that because I had those thoughts too, you guys. But if you push through the awkwardness, seriously, if you push through, you start to develop your skills as a worshiper, you know what happens? Real quickly, I mean like real quickly, those thoughts stop coming into your head and it stops being about you and the other people around you and it starts being about God. Worship is a skill, it's a capacity that you can develop. But if you let the weirdness or the awkwardness that you might feel in the first couple of attempts push you away, then you'll never get beyond it and you will never be able to offer God this true worship that he wants you to have. Now, speaking of hands, some of you guys are curious, like, why do we lift hands here at Connect? Why do people, I've seen it at other churches maybe, I understand the music, I can get the clapping, but the lifted hands, what in the world are you guys doing when you're lifting your hands up towards the sky? Why is it, you might wonder, sometimes it's only one hand high, you see people doing this, sometimes it's two hands lifted high, sometimes it seems like people are trying to reenact the crucifixion, you know, they're just <laughs> hanging loose like this, sometimes they're like a waiter carrying a tray, you know. <laughs> Why, what is this? Why do we do this? What could, what could possibly be the motivation behind that? Maybe I can help you to understand that this morning. I mean, think about the other times in your life when you might raise your hands. If the Stamps score a go-ahead touchdown at the last second of the game, you know what everybody does? Stands, throws their arms up, start cheering. Seriously, fist to the sky. Because an upraised hand is a sign of victory. Now, Think about another time that people raise their hands. People will lift their hands up if a cop says, come out with your hands up. Because raised hands are a sign of surrender. Why do we lift hands? Because it's a sign of victory and surrender at the same time. We're celebrating the victory that Jesus has over death, the victory that he gives us over the sins that hold us down, and we are surrendering ourselves to God. Victory and surrender. That's why we lift hands. That's why we get passionate. That's why we develop our skills as a worshiper, because we can and because it's what God desires. Last thing, we're gonna be done. Last thought here is that true worship is a choice and not a feeling. So we said that it's a, it's a passion, it's not a chore, it's a skill, not a gift, it's a choice and not a feeling. Listen, I understand that church, Sunday morning worship, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. You had a nasty fight with your husband on the way to church this morning. I get it. And it seems like they always tend to happen on Sunday mornings, you know? You show up here, you're in a bitter mood, you're mad at each other, nothing has gone right, plus they change the time on you. Seriously, I understand you've had a rough morning. I know that you've probably had a bad week. Some of you guys have had very difficult weeks, stuff I don't even know about, right, that's happened to you. Some of you show up and you're trying to figure out faith, you're trying to make decisions about your relationship with God, and you don't want to engage in worship because you're not sure what you believe yet. You don't want to fake it until you make it. You want to be serious and sincere with this. I understand. Maybe you're just tired today. I understand there are all sorts of circumstances in your life that could leave you not feeling like engaging in worship on a Sunday morning. But can I challenge you to remember, to maybe understand for the very first time in your life, that worship is a choice, it is not a feeling. That you choose 
whether or not you're going to express your devotion to God. You choose whether or not you're going to express your passion to God. It is a choice, not a feeling. And you can offer God worship even when you don't feel like it. In fact, this is one of the ways that we can know our worship is true. We give it even when we don't feel it. If you can worship God, even when you're like, man, today's a tough day. I'm not feeling excited and hyped and clappy and jumpy and singy and all those different things. But because of who God is, I'm going to give it anyway. If you can give him that kind of worship, even when you don't feel it, then you know it's true worship. Because worship is not based in feelings. Worship is based in faith. It is based in a relationship with God. It allows us to draw close to God when he feels very far from us. Worship allows us to celebrate in the middle of our morning. Worship allows us to focus on God instead of all the circumstances in our lives. And and my wife often coaches our worship team and reminds them and us that oftentimes our feelings follow our actions and not the other way around. We think I'll be expressive when I feel like being expressive. But if you kind of, if you took that attitude into every area of your life, do you know what a mess it would be? If you only saved money when you felt like saving money, you'd never save money. If you only loved your wife when you felt like loving your wife, then you would never love her, at least not consistently. We cannot say, oh, I just don't feel it, so I'm not gonna offer it. No, God gives us the opportunity. And if you're one of his followers, he even gives you the command that you offer him worship even if you don't feel like offering him worship at that moment. So this morning, we want to give you the chance to worship. I want to encourage you to enlarge your capacity this morning as a worshiper of this good God. I want you to give him the same passion that you'd give to these other hobbies and interests and diversions in your life. I'm gonna challenge you to take a step in worship that you haven't taken before this morning. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not gonna prescribe anything. I'm not gonna say, okay, everybody has to lift their hands at this chorus. No, I'm not gonna do that. But could you? Could you push through the awkwardness? Could you sing instead of mouthing the words this time and not really care if the person beside you thinks you're a good singer or not? Could you focus on God instead of the musicianship of the people on stage? Could you participate in true worship this morning, perhaps to a depth and degree that you haven't yet?